Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, July 27th, 2020. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. Ashley, nice Hi. to talk to you again. It's been a little bit. I know, like a week maybe, I think, yeah. I think, uh, I think we're we, like... we did Tuesday's show together oh, last week. Oh, yeah, we and did. And we had a couple with Alicia, and you did one on your own. Right. But, uh, but we are back together better than ever. Yes. Um, and before we get into the show, I wanted to let people know some things that happened in the podcast feed some over the weekend. Very First exciting up, things. Sa- yeah. On Saturday, I had my 50th episode of Tell Me More, and I spoke with the great two-time Tony nominee, Tim Menchin. Talked about a bunch of stuff. It was primarily focused on his new TV show called Upright, which is already premiered in the UK and Australia to rave reviews and is coming to the streaming service Sundance Now on August mm, 6th. That's yeah. obviously in connection with like the Sundance Film Festival and you know high quality entertainment there. It's really, really good. I um, It's kind of like a road trip film meets the odd couple meets fleabag love it yeah so the setup for the film is tim's character his name is lucky he is he has to go visit his mother who is dying on the other side of australia but instead of deciding to buy a plane ticket he decides to drive and to bring his upright from the name of the show his upright piano along with him oh cute all right (laughs) very early yeah very early on Things go badly, and he's forced to make the trip um, with a 16-year-old girl who might be running away, is kind of running away from her dad, going to see her mom on the other side of the country as well. Um, It's really sweet. It's a lot about family and how family can have different definitions, and um, I really loved it. So I highly recommend you check that out on Sundance now, beginning on August 6th. Will do. Love Tim Minchin. Yeah, he's the best and such a sweet and funny guy. He was gave some great answers and he was a lot of fun. So I, I really, really enjoyed that because, as I told you before, actually, I was a little intimidated. I didn't know yeah, what to expect from him yeah. because he's got kind of like this bigger, over-the-top um, uh, persona and sarcastic. And like I've been a fan of his for a decade. So um, this, was, this was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed it. Then on Sunday, we had a super long This Week on Broadway. Actually, it was 90 whole minutes because not wow. only did they have Peter, James, and Michael, but Jan Simpson joined the, the discussion. And obviously, anytime Jan is there, it ups the IQ points. So not Correct. only did they talk about, yeah, <laughs> not only did they talk about plays that they love, but they also talked, um, what I think Jan has done this in years past as well, talked about the best theater books, um, from this year, as well as some novels set in the theater world. Um, so it's really, really a good nice. uh, opportunity to uh, flex your brain power on the theater side of things. Not to mention the normal side of that, is, you know, with Peter's trivia questions. So there's a lot of, of like proving how smart you are between plays and books and trivia. So check that over out. ninety minutes too. Man, it's going to be nominated for an Oscar for your consideration. <laughs> yeah, I think it's an hour and twenty seven minutes, so it's close. But uh, definitely check that one out. Of course, both of those episodes debuted first on our Patreon feed, which you can get at patreon.com slash Broadway Radio, BroadwayRadio.com slash Patreon before it drops in the regular feeds. So all right, Ashley, let's get into the show today. And we're not actually going to start with news per se. But a few columns that I think Mm. in and of themselves are newsworthy. The first comes from Alex Wood, who is a writer from What's On Stage, which is the the British sister site of Theater Mania. 
Last Thursday, July 23rd, Alex was in the audience at Andrew Lloyd Webber's socially distanced pilot, pilot performance at the London Palladium. There were 500 seats available in the normally 200 or 2,000 seat venue. In addition, every audience member had to have their temperature taken before coming in, and before the performance, a chemical was dispersed via fog, apparently, to clean the house. Mm. ALW said, quote, This theater was fogged yesterday, and the chemical that it is fogged with is effective against the virus for four weeks, but... We do it every fortnight. That means two weeks. If you were confused why the right Lord Honorable Lloyd Webber was talking about a video game that your younger brother or sister plays. Hey. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, Wood also said that there was, quote, staggered entry times, QR code track and trace systems, floor markings, one-way systems, and socially distanced toilet cubicles. <laughs> I've never I've never heard something called a toilet cubicle. That must be a, a British thing. A Britishism, yeah. 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 Um, ushers wore masks and concessions were sold at the seats rather than requiring people to form a queue, which is another British term, uh, this one for line. Um, but for the performance itself, it ended up being a solo concert by Beverly Knight, who actually played um, Grisabella and Cats at the Palladium uh, five years ago or so. And Wood said that her performance was fantastic. And if you're going to mm. have to have a 500 person audience in a 2000 seat venue, you want someone like Beverly Knight who can make it feel oh, yeah. intimate. But despite the pilot performance going about as smoothly as it could, Lloyd Webber wants the government to move more quickly. At the performance, he said, quote, what we need badly is a date for reopening. Everyone understands that a spike in the virus could mean a delay, but we need a target. Now, actually, I get the desire to have an officially publicly stated by the government reopening right. target date. And I mean, we, well, yeah, even by, in our case, by the league, because we've talked about that before, that well, we've wanted like official dates for things. Yeah, but I, did, I don't. I don't see the need at this point. I don't think it's even feasible to do. Right. I mean, I know that the UK is further along in battling the coronavirus than we are, but ultimately, yeah, <laughs> I think that what we, the US and the UK and everybody else really might really be waiting on is the same thing. And that's right. a vaccine. And I don't exactly. know that we can say, yes, we want it to come back at this date. So before a vaccine is readily available, or at least we know it's going to be available, there's so much that can change or go Absolutely. wrong or really go better. Like things could improve. Um, so I don't know that saying, yes, we will reopen like normal in November. So you can do your Christmas shows and pantos and all these things. Yeah. I don't think that seems really possible, possible to me. Like I just don't no. understand. I understand from a planning perspective. That's why I've said from the beginning, like have a plan for like, everything just plan for everything like right you and, don't know yeah. it's ever changing i don't see what this actually means especially because then you might have to change it in the future right that's a lot of it we've talked about that a lot as far as planning for everything and uh, at this point having like the vague spring opening date of what looks like here to be april um, and we even talked about that last week as far as like what kind of preparations would need to go into that and how many months right. they would need to start everything. And the same thing is going to happen over there. But you nailed it. I, we're all waiting for the same thing. We're waiting for a vaccine. You're not going to be able to have performances with 500 people seems a lot to me to begin with uh, now. I mean, that's almost the uh, Hayes Theater. So, it's more. Uh, I, mean, it, I mean, it's just under. Just, just yeah. under, yeah, because the haze is like 595 or something. Yeah. Yeah. 
So imagine filling the haze. I mean, obviously it's socially distanced, but there's even that seems too much to me. And we're not talking about having that many people in a venue anytime oh. soon. It's very much a. I'm 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 very much putting my feelings towards Andrew Lloyd Webber aside here, uh, <laughs> but it is still very much a money grabbing thing here, especially if they're trying to like make the push ahead of the holiday season. Because yeah, everyone of course Which wants to do said, their yeah. yeah, everyone of course wants to do their Christmas shows and their pantos, but. Nah, if there's <laughs> not if we're still in a pandemic, that's beyond yeah. absurd. It's negligent. And the thing is, is like I understand why they want something to work towards. I think that's actually very important for sure. um, morale and for all of that stuff. And we've talked about oh, yeah, artists both in the UK and the absolutely. US leaving the industry altogether. So I understand why they want to say this, but I just from a governmental standpoint, like they have no need to do that. Why would they? I, I just don't see that being a thing that needs to be pushed for. And do they're, it. they're even acknowledging that they know that there could be a setback. Like, right. Uh, and that's why, like, talking about this with government officials so you know what the current plan is is probably much more useful than it is having something, having something publicly exactly stated. absolutely you know do that. the work behind the scenes and that's what i mean like have your plans like i'm sure as much as i rag on charlotte st martin because mm. she got one of my articles taken down because <laughs> she didn't like how i wrote it um wow. like, i'm sure right, that right they are talking better, to people what's that i'm not right better, better. oh no mine was completely perfectly written yeah. she didn't like me calling her out publicly yeah I remember. Um, anyway I remember. you know like yeah i mean we've talked about how the league in the the american theater wing has screwed up by not saying anything about the tonys but like everything else like i'm completely fine with them not saying this is the for sure return date like i i know we've talked right. about that would be nice but like when you have you know, no idea what's going on. It seems yeah. unnecessary. Like I'm it's, totally in favor of them saying performances are canceled through this point sure. because you have to pay money back. But like, I don't see the need to to say this date in six months is when we're right. going to return, especially when you have no idea if that's actually. Yeah. Good. As you already said, it's a morale thing more than anything. And sure, we need some kind of morale boost, but as we've already witnessed here, it's not really doing anything to help to keep bumping up the date over and over and over again. And I'm sure it's not doing anything there, but when you start doing things that are like very concrete and saying this is the date we're going to be back no matter what and then something happens like that personally would screw me up more than what's already been happening yeah all right let's move on to the other column that i wanted to mention and this one came from the vultures helen shaw who is as always very very smart mm -hmm. um she wrote about the idea of there being or needing to be a famous face leading the charge for arts funding in the United States. She talks about how Sam Mendes and Sonia Friedman are campaigning in the UK mm. and how unions and other organizations have thus far had to carry the mantle here in the US. She also mentions the Be an Arts Hero campaign, which really, I mean, with all due respect, hasn't taken off all right. that much. Right. But she says that these stateside efforts have not picked up traction because they are easy to dismiss. She writes, quote, both advocates and editors are trying to find a Mendez 
to fight for the $877 billion that arts add to the American economy, to stand up for the incalculable well-being that the arts promote, to help the unemployed survive. The celebrity dependence on both sides of the equation is incredibly depressing. Are we really not capable of paying attention without a bold face name attached? Even if it's difficult to focus, we can't wait for that junket to start. It would be nice if some famous American person decided to get involved, sure. But I know my senator's phone numbers, too, and I have the time. Now, first off, do what Helen said. Call your senators, right. call your Congress people, sure. all that stuff. But, Ashley, do you think that there is some multi-hyphenate American who could make a difference if they became the champion for this cause, perhaps not making it like something that every American in the country cared about because that's not going to happen, but at least someone that could rally support and harness the attention of a wider range of people than just those in the industry while also getting attention from legislators mm. and decision makers. Cause it's a really to be good honest, question. I, I, I kind of doubt that there is such a person yeah i i agree with that uh my brain kind of went to and this isn't my answer as far as who can do it but my brain went to john stewart when he was doing all the you know rallying for 9-11 sure uh you know cancer funds and talking with legislators there and that's what that kind of reminded me of i think if anything it's it's a two-part answer one there needs to be someone like that that's working behind the scenes more than in like with the last topic these things need to be doing going on behind the scenes not necessarily in front right they need to be working behind the scenes to actually be having these conversations and bringing about lasting change as far as a figurehead i don't know because we have such a short attention span (laughs) Like yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What were you saying? I know, I, I know, right? Because he's checking Twitter. Or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's you. I you know, <laughs> I know, <laughs> I do, I do check Twitter. Um, but I, I think for us, we would have to have like regular campaigns with multiple people. I mean, celebrities jump at the <laughs> chance to put together these compilation videos all the time and not really do anything more than be figureheads about anything. Imagine there's no heaven. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, but here's the thing. Half of the country claims to hate celebrities who speak out sure, on things. So it's exactly. like, my, my, the, what I think is interesting about the two uh, people that, that they... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that I think is interesting that Helen pointed out about the two people in the UK is that they're not necessarily like they're well known, but they're not like sure. A-listers. Sure. They are Sam Mendes is I mean he's an Academy Award winner and 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 all that stuff and but he's fairly very famous. much theater people. Yeah. Yeah, they're you know, they're and they're they're not just directors, they're also administrators. So I think that's kind of interesting. I don't know who that would be in the US. Like I don't think that a John Stewart or even like right. a Tom like Tom Hanks might be the only person. <laughs> Meryl Streep, maybe. Streep, Streep, <laughs> but she's so political. Like, right. I think that could be but a that's problem. The like, thing. I, that's what I was like, you know, hemming about, hemming and hawing about. Cause it's like, who, who are the figure, if we were to do something like this, who are the figureheads addressing? The people who already care about the arts or the people who don't care about the arts, who already hate celebrities talking about anything? Hanks, Hanks and The Rock. Give me Hanks and The Rock. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. And we're good to go. 
There we All go. Right. Perfect. Let's move on. Actually, unfortunately, we have some sad news to share, which I'm sure everybody has already heard. Over the weekend, the iconic two-time Academy Award-winning Dame Olivia de Havilland passed away at the ripe old age of 104. Uh, she is one of the last surviving stars from the golden age of Hollywood cinema. Her first big break came when she was in Gone with the Wind. Can you imagine she was in Gone with the Wind? <laughs> that, it earned that her little, little down film. Yeah. And she just died. Um, for that film, she received the first of her five Academy Award nominations. That was the only one for Best Supporting Actress. She does have a theater connection. She actually appeared in three Broadway shows. First as Juliet in Romeo and Juliet in mm -hmm. 1951. Yep. Then in Candida as Candida in 1952. And then she appeared in A Gift of Time in 1962. Yep. Um, she is someone who has... Uh, been a, a major figure in both film and television for i mean literally almost a Ever. century yeah <laughs> uh, she was in i mean she was in roots um she's got an academy award two academy awards a golden globe primetime emmy nomination um she <laughs> i think is currently suing ryan murphy for the film uh, for the tv show feud um oh with, right right so it's just like she's been a part of our discussion for a century even though the fact that like she really hasn't been super public uh in recent decades for obvious reasons she was over 100 years old um you know she dated howard hughes like just what an incredible Life. That's the top resume spot right there. I know. Dated <laughs> Howard Hughes and Jimmy Stewart and was yes. in Gone with the Wind and yes. died in 2020. So, <sighs> truly, obviously, truly the end of an era, like the classic Hollywood, yeah. old Hollywood era. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Godspeed to Olivia de Havilland. I know many, many people are celebrating her life and her career this weekend. Uh, all right, real quick, one more piece of news that I wanted to get into before we get to the feel-good recommendations. As we talked about, I think before, there has been a recent glut of white mm -hmm. people no longer um, having jobs in uh animated projects because they were voicing people of color. One of the ones we talked about came from the Apple TV Plus show Central Park, which was actually uh, co-created by Josh Gad. In it, former Broadway uh, baby herself, Kristen Bell, played a mixed race uh, character. We'd said um, a month or so ago, Kristen Bell had stepped up and voluntarily said she would no longer be voicing Molly in the second season of the show. And over the weekend, it was reported that they have found her replacement in Hamilton original cast member Emmy Raver Lampman. Um, so she is going to be taking over the role of Molly Love in the second that. season. Um, she is fantastic. And interestingly enough, her boyfriend, Divi Diggs, is also in the cast of Central Park. Oh, so I'm geez. sure that helps. Pa power couple. All right. Yeah, not not bad, not bad. If they have to do any sort of um, socially distanced recording, they can do it together. Perfect. Uh, but that's very cool. <laughs> so uh, keep an ear out for uh, Amy Raver Lampman as the voice of Molly in Central Park Season 2. All right, real quick, I've got a couple of recommendations. The first one comes from the best show on television, CBS Sunday Morning, in honor of the 100th anniversary of the legendary duo of Richard Rodgers and Lawrence Hart. They had a special kind of modern take 
on their iconic song, The Lady is a Tramp, featuring Jelani Aladdin and Christiani Pitts, who I think uh, was great in King Kong. I liked King Kong mm. a lot more than a lot of other people did, but Christiani Pitts was really good in that show. Um, so uh, check that one out. And then on Seth Rudetsky's Stars in the House over the weekend, uh, he had really just an incredible uh, must-see event in which they reunited cast members from the original production of A Chorus Line mm. that involved um, Donna McKechnie, Robert Lapone, Bayork Lee, uh, Ronald Dennis, Donna Drake, and more. Um, they, that thing is now still available. You can watch it. I'll have a link. I, I've said before, like, I don't understand why A Chorus Line moves me so much. But, like, that and the finale of Hairspray, you it's can't pretty, stop to be. Like, those are things that, like, I cry show. every time I watch that or yeah. one at the end of A Chorus Line. And I'm not mm. really sure why, but it's just such a beautiful. It's a pretty perfect show. It's a pretty yeah. perfect show. Yeah. So, uh, those are great things to watch as you start your week. All right, that is all that we have for today. Thank you for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, this is Ashley. All right, I have no idea what the schedule is going to be like this week, folks. Maybe some interviews. Um, Alicia will be joining us. Hopefully, we'll have uh, Alicia and Ashley together at some point. That would be the first time that we would have a multi person Today on Broadway hosted by two women. Obviously, you've hosted the show by yourself, so yes. it's not the first time a show has been hosted solely by women, uh, but the first time we've had two women hosting the show, which I'm very, very excited about. We're about to bring uh, a little estrogen. <laughs> we are breaking ceilings, glass ceilings all <laughs> over the place here today on Broadway. But anyway, have a wonderful Monday, and we will talk to you in some form or fashion tomorrow. <laughs>